2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6. For this reason... Wait, wait, for what reason? Because of Timothy's sincere faith. Remember, Paul thanks God. I thank God, he says, and he gives all of these aspects of that thankfulness, but he lands on Timothy's sincere faith. And so now Paul says, For this reason... I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. One more time. For this reason, I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. Oh Lord, would you make practical these words for us this morning? Fathers, I've considered these words and the, and the words to follow. I do not want to land in a place of just kind of allegorizing what is being said or, or spiritualizing in a way that doesn't land not only in our hearts but in our minds and in our behavior, in our actions. Father, help us understand what this means. What Paul was trying to get across to young Timothy, but also, Father, what your spirit would get across to us this morning. That we might understand your call on our hearts in these cold times to kindle afresh. And I pray for your spirit's leading and teaching this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Kindle afresh. Well, who doesn't love a warm fire? You know, especially this time of year with the sound of the crackling flames and the glow on the hearth that draws you into just kind of that cozy, drowsy stupor. You ever do that? You know, the fire in the fireplace is blazing and you just kind of sit there and, and realize that like a half hour's gone by and you're just lulled into this. <laughs> Have you seen the electric fireplaces you can buy at Costco? <laughs> 4,600 BTUs of forced air heat pumping out of those things with a full fire and artificial crackling noises. And I just can't go there. (laughs) Three years in a row, Cheryl has said, we really ought to get one of those for our room and warm up the room and we have a crackling fire. I'm like, it's not a fire. It's the last room in the Pirates of the Caribbean. That's what that is. (laughs) Just that phony rolling log and colored lights to make it. it I just, it doesn't work for me. (laughs) It's that time of year again (laughs) when shorter days and colder nights does draw us home and the home fires are kindled. But Paul's directive to Timothy is not a faux directive. And what he's calling upon Timothy to do is not draw into a lazy stupor, just the opposite. His directive does not imply slippers and snuggies Sleepy apathy. What Paul is calling on Timothy to do is vital, I believe, not only to his faith, but to ours as well. In fact, did you know that in Jewish law, kindling a fire on Shabbat was expressly forbidden? They weren't allowed to do it. Exodus chapter 35, verse 3, you can look it up, says you shall not kindle a fire in any of your dwellings on the Sabbath day. Well, that's a little difficult in the wintertime, isn't it? 
And I can tell you it gets cold in the wintertime in Israel. But they weren't allowed to do it. It's number 37 out of 39 prohibited work activities on Shabbat. 39. The, the rabbis have drawn out. So these activities of work are absolutely prohibited. You may not do them. Now, they divide work, the rabbis do, into two categories. There's what's called melakha, which is the business type of work. And then there's avodah, which is just general work. And they say that fire for all melakha, fire for all business activity is forbidden on the Sabbath. Fire for light and heat is considered avodah and therefore permitted. And I think that's funny because man's response to law is always to find loopholes. <laughs> There's got to be a way around this because we've got to have our fire. You shall not kindle a fire in your dwellings on the Sabbath day. So here comes our very Jewish friend, Paul, saved by the blood of the Lamb, but a Jew nonetheless saying, for this reason I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God. He's not talking about a mug of cocoa on a cold winter's night. He is talking about stirring the embers in a world where love has grown cold. Stir it up! I shared this uh, quote on Wednesday night. I want to share it with you all again this morning. Uh, 19th to 20th century theologian Handley Moule said of this time and, and of this letter, he said, to every eye but that of faith. It must have appeared just then as if the gospel was on the eve of extinction. The letter does not come at a time of great encouragement or revival. No, it comes at a time of great confusion. When Paul wrote, spoke, dictated this letter to Timothy, what we call 2 Timothy, he was on his way out. As we talked about last week and Wednesday, he was on death row. His days were numbered. He knew he was coming to the end. Who's going to take up the mantle? Who's going to carry this forward? Will this continue to progress? Is there anybody as nuts as Paul... To make this thing continue. Anyone with that passion, that drive, that mission. And Paul says to Timothy, stir it up. Fan the flames. Ignite the fire of your sincere faith. How? By igniting that gift. Stir up the gift within you. Brothers and sisters, it matters, I think, more now than it did then. Who's going to carry the mantle? Who's going to allow the Spirit to stir the heart? Who in these last days, when Jesus said the love of most would grow cold, who is going to be a fire? Who's going to be a light with the gospel of Jesus Christ? Ignite the fire of your sincere faith. And what Paul is calling for here, I want to give you an alternate view of kindling a fire. Literally. A view from the altar. For the word kindle afresh is an pureo in the Greek. Oh, you say. Aha! <laughs> an pureo. I, I like to look at these words, and especially when they can be broken down, as so often happens, and we've talked about this, in the Greek you'll have compound words, and this is one of those. An pureo is made up of three words put together. Listen to this. Ana, or Ana, which is upon, Pur, which is fire, and then Zoan, a living thing. 
a living thing upon the fire. What does that speak of but the altar of sacrifice? A living thing upon the fire. Kindle afresh. It's a picture of sacrificial living. It's a picture of the sacrifice ignited, stirred up, the flames flowing high on the altar. And so he says, kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. We talked about the laying on of hands Wednesday night, and it is a picture of impartation. That is the giving of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, having been imparted literally across 2,000 years. It's not that the hand is so special, but the gift of the Spirit giving to one person passed along to the next and the next and the next, all the way down through time. And ours is to be a fiery faith, a kindled faith, one that looks directly into the ires, into the fires of sacrifice and says, light me up. Ignite my heart, Lord Jesus. He's the one with the fiery eyes of sacrifice, by the way. Revelation 1.14 tells us his head and his hair were white like white wool, like snow, and his eyes were like a flame of fire. That's what John saw when he looked at Jesus, when he saw the revelation of Jesus Christ. Fiery eyes. And the Hebrew writer says in Hebrews 12.29, Our God is a consuming fire. A fire that burns. A fire that lights. A fire that warms. A fire that designates passion and desire. His are the eyes of fire with a consuming desire to see your faith burning bright, not fizzling, not smoldering, not buried. As a boy growing up in Southern California, we had signs on the beaches near the fire pits that warned against coal buried under the sand. Warning not to walk barefoot because some of that coal was still smoldering, perhaps from the night before or the day before you cover up coal with sand and it can smolder for quite a while. And the thing is, so many people's faith, so many believers have that kind of a faith, smoldering coal. Oh, there's still heat. It's still there, but it's not doing the job that it was made to do. Kindle afresh. Stir it up. We serve the God who Himself endured the fiery altar of the cross at Calvary. And He invites us to do likewise. Follow me, Jesus said. When it comes to self-sacrifice, and that's truly what we're talking about here, don't run from the fire. Stir it up. Kindle afresh. Hebrews 12.3 says, Consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Anyone losing heart? Anyone just a little weary? Anyone thinking more of the coming of Jesus as a the sooner the better. Stir it up. Kindle afresh. Fan the flames. Ignite your faith. For this reason I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. And then he said, For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. Military personnel, hear this, the word timidity here is a battle word. It's a battle word of what not to do in battle. It's better translated cowardice. 
God has not given us a spirit of cowardice, a spirit of running away, a spirit of fear. God has not given us a spineless spirit in this kingdom battle. Just the opposite. At the very start, Jesus told the disciples, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, even to the remotest part of the earth. And through the laying on of hands, that power has continued for 2,000 years. That power is available now as it was then. It's not a first century promise. It's an all century promise. It's a church-wide promise. You have been given power and love and discipline. And so Hebrews 10.39 tells us we are, we are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith to the preserving of the soul. We've got power. That's that Greek word dunamis. That effective virtue of power. We've got love. That's agape. Unconditional unspoiled, perfect love. And we have discipline working together. All three. And it seems to me that we need all three. You see, power by itself without love or discipline is dangerous. Absolute power corrupts absolutely. I don't need to say much about that. We have a history of people rising to power and danger coming right out of it. People get into a position of authority and lose themselves and become power hungry. So power by itself, not a good thing. Power with love and discipline, well that's a different thing. Love, oh love without power is weak. Love without discipline is weak willed. Love needs power and discipline to function effectively and rightly. And then, of course, discipline without love, well, that's just harsh and unyielding. That's just pure meanness. And without power, discipline is empty threats. So, you see, the three function very well together. Power, love, and discipline. These are not arbitrary thoughts that the Spirit is saying, Hey, Paul, mention that word. Oh, that's a good one, too. No, these three are what we have been given. And Paul is saying, stir it up. You have power. Feeling weak? You have power. Feeling alone? You've got love. Feeling uncertain or out of control? Discipline. Power, love, and discipline. Now what Paul does in this first chapter is he he basically opens up this door to these three items, these three ways in which we can kindle afresh the gift given to us. And then he gives us description of them. If you note this, first he describes a Christ-kindled power. Look at verse 8. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner, but join me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God. It is a power unto suffering. It's a power that allows the fires of sacrifice to burn all around us and to say, bring it on. A power joined with me, Paul says. In suffering, Romans 1.16 says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. And so the sacrifice he's talking about here of suffering for the gospel, it's not self-defeating. It's not the woe is me martyr attitude when you remember that you have been powered by the gospel. That it's good news we carry. 
And the gospel is salvation to all, to everyone who believes. To say, to be saved then is to be called, and to be called is to be kindled by this very power of God. In verse 9 he continues and says, according to the power of God, God who has saved us and called us with a holy calling. Not according to our works, by the way, which is good news, <laughs> but according according to His own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. That's the Gospel. And the Gospel is power. His power. Not your power. This is the thing we're going to have to get this morning. The power of the love and discipline does not come from you, does not come from me. I don't generate it. That's not what he's meaning when he says, kindle it afresh, spur up. Okay, i got to make it happen. No, you can't. This is a gift given. We are stirring a power that comes from Him. But it's not power alone. And note this, He's already transferring over into love because it's according to the purpose and grace which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity, verse 10, but now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the Gospel. That's love. That's love. Jesus says greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends, John fifteen thirteen. And then he takes it a step further. He says, you are my friends. If you do what I command you, no longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing. I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You know what the greatest one is? The greatest thing He's made known to us? John 3.16. Where Jesus said, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. That's love. The love of God given to us through the sacrifice of Jesus, who again abolished death and brought life and immortality. That's what He did in the first advent. Isn't that exciting? Isn't that something worth stirring up and kindling in your heart and remembering and walking in? And love, the love of God. You know, love makes sacrifice seem less sacrificial. Have you noted that in, in a love relationship, a love friendship, among family members or friends or, or with a spouse, that the more you love them, the more you're willing to sacrifice for them, but you don't really see it as sacrifice. Because it's love. And it takes the, it takes that, you know, victim mentality out of sacrifice. It makes sacrifice something that, that is desirable. Suffering for the gospel according to the power of God doesn't feel like you're suffering. People on the outside will look at your life and go, man, is your life hard? I mean, how, how are you getting through? And you're like, it's pretty good here. Where I'm sitting, this is a good place. Sacrifice doesn't feel like sacrifice where there's love. And especially the love and power of God. But note this, this power and this love also works with discipline. A Christ-kindled power, a Christ-kindled love, thirdly, a Christ-kindled discipline. Verse 11, Paul said, For which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher. And for this reason, I also suffer these things 
But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. And I am convinced that He's able to guard what I have entrusted to Him until that day. You know, in this letter, Paul refers to not being ashamed four times. (coughs) I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed, he says. I'm not ashamed. And by the way, I'm not ashamed. Why does he say it so much? I believe because some were. We've already noted this a little bit, that there were Christians in that day who were ashamed of Paul, who were ashamed of yet another imprisonment. Paul says, I'm not. I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed of where this has landed me, of what it looks like on me, of how it affects my personal life. I am not ashamed because this is about the gospel. And Paul is one who knew what it meant to to kindle and to stir up and to walk in power, love, and discipline. Are any of us ashamed today? See, I think some are. Embarrassed by fiery Christian faith. You ever out with someone in a restaurant and they just start praying and you're like... Spend some time with less. You know what? Last night we were here for the uh, staff Christmas party. And in moving a couch, Jeff D'Angelo was sitting on a couch and, and was still sitting and We started moving that couch, and the couch caught his Achilles tendons, both. Caught him, and he's like, ah, ha, ha. And he was in some some real pain there. We're all making jokes and laughing it off. Next thing I know, Les is over there on his knees praying over the ankles. You know? Like, Les, this is a Christmas party. What are you doing? And of course, as a senior pastor, now i got to go over there and pray too. Because if I don't join him, well then we'll know who the more spiritual pastor is. Les said something last night, you know, and people were kind of laughing and still and, and, at, at Jeff's pain. And, and Les said something to the effect of, I don't care if this looks silly, we need to pray for this right now. And that's exactly what I'm talking about. There are some who are uncomfortable with that. Not last night. But there are those who are uncomfortable with preaching, with teaching, with the apostolic mentality of some Christians that, by the way, we all ought to have. We are sent ones. Do you know that? We're not here to sit here. We're here to be sent. We're here to go. And yet there are those who are just like, pipe down, go to your churches and leave us alone. And there are those sitting in churches who are like, pipe down, let's keep our Christian culture, but let's not make waves. And Paul says to that, oh yeah, stir it up. Stir it up. Make a mess if you have to. Be known for who you follow. I know whom I have believed, Paul says. I know him. That changes everything. Paul says, I've got this... Discipline. We have been given this discipline. Paul refused to be one who pipes down. How do you kindle afresh a Christ-like discipline? Especially when you have fellow believers who will shun or pull away from you when you're getting a little bit too vocal about your Christianity. And by the way, I hope that's none of you. I hope none of us are Christians who are embarrassed by Christianity. 
And if you are ever in that place where you're kind of like, oh, I wish he wouldn't be so vocal. Every time a waitress brings a check, he says, praise the Lord, God bless you. And it really embarrasses me. If it does, time to stir it up. You be the one who embarrasses other Christians. (laughs) But do it with discipline. Listen, power, love, and discipline. And this is important. Discipline is slightly different than power and love. This is the only use of the word discipline. Now, we'll see the word discipline in other places in the New Testament, but this particular Greek word is only used one time, and it's right here. It's sophronismos. And sophronismos, literally translated discipline, I like the King James translation actually a little better. I think it's more accurate. The King James says, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. It's not just discipline, it's a sound mind. Synonymous with self-control, moderation. In other words, I've been given a fiery, passionate power and love, but it's not out of control. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 14, Paul says the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. In other words, saying when you've been given a spiritual gift, you have authority over that. You have a sound mind with that. You can control it. It's not going to overtake you. You use it. God has given it to you to use it. So we don't have this fire out of control. Sound-minded discipline is not so much an ember to be stoked as it is a tool of stoking. And think about it this way. You know the fireplace sets. Maybe you have one on your hearth at home, a fireplace set, and these days they're more decremental than uh, anything. But tongs and a poker and a shovel that hang there. We have one in my uh, downstairs growing up, and my brother and I would sword fight with them. <laughs> you know, it wasn't always the safest thing, and the real bummer was when Ron got the poker and I got the brush. And it's like, I'm going to sweep you away, you know. But that's what it's like. Discipline is the, is the poker. It's, it's the bellows. It's the, it's the brush. It's what helps keep working on the fire of power and of love. We need all three, this tool of stoking. Sound-minded discipline is a necessary tool. And it's necessary, get this, the reason why I focus on sound-minded is because it's all about who you know. The discipline comes of knowing Jesus. Look at verse 12 again. For this reason I also suffer these things, but I'm not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that He is able to guard what I have entrusted to Him until that day. Paul doesn't say, I know what I believe. I know whom. I know Him. And that's... The difference, Paul knew his faith and his ministry and his mission was guarded and kept and secure because he knew Jesus. He knew Jesus well enough to know Jesus isn't going to let this thing go. Jesus is not going to let this thing burn out of control. Jesus isn't going to burn me out. We do that. He does not. Let me ask you, did Jesus guard Paul's faith? The most immediate proof is sitting in your laps. Thirteen letters guarded for 2,000 years. He is faithful to see things through. Will He not do the same for you and for me? 
You think Paul was so special? Oh, Paul was special because he had been given the gift of the Spirit of God. So have you if you follow Jesus. No different. And he will keep your faith until that day. Some say, oh, I wish he would. I want to believe he will. I don't know if he will with me. I'm glad I see it in others. My friends, what's the problem? The problem is simply this. Daily life douses the flames. It's one thing to be in a retreat or even a Sunday morning or a moment where we're, we're worshiping or we're getting teaching and we can go, yeah, yeah, that sounds good. And then we hit the door on Monday morning and daily life returns Something happens and then another thing and all of a sudden temporary circumstances bury eternal confidence. Well, the confidence is there. It's just buried and we're smoldering. So an immediate discouragement smothers long-term assurance. But I say again, if, if God, if Christ was able, is able to guard Paul's long-term life effort, He will do the same for you. He will do the same for me until that day. Not until he gets busy with something else. I know whom I believe. And I am convinced he's able to guard what I've entrusted to him until that day. Jesus said, I am with you to the very end of the age. There is no point at which he says, uh, I'll be back. <laughs> Got something to do. Other side of the world. I'll check back in with you later. He's not Gandalf. You know? Disappearing and then coming back and then disappearing again. No, He is with you. He is guarding what you have entrusted to Him, which is what? Your sincere faith. A number one, when you said, Jesus, I believe in you and will follow you, He says, okay, I got that. I'm guarding that. I'm going to keep that. I am going to remind you of that over and over. The God-given ability To know Jesus. That's a sound mind. Listen, it's not about trusting yourself. It's not about thinking, am I ever going to be good enough to get myself across that line? It's knowing Jesus will. Regardless of your failures. Regardless of my faithfulness. I know Him. I know me. And if I had to base this whole thing on me, we would all be in big trouble. But I know Him. I know Jesus doesn't let me down. I know He's faithful. I know His grace. I know His love. I've seen His power. And I know He is the one who gives me a sound mind. And I want to know Christ. And Jude writes, He is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of His glory, blameless with great joy. And Jude was talking about that day when Jesus comes again. So Paul says, kindle afresh, stir up the embers, fan the flames. And you might say, Rick, you've pretty much covered everything this morning and it's only half hour in, so are we done early? No. (laughs) Stir it up. How do we do that? Because honestly, it sounds exhausting. It sounds tiring. It sounds like there's got, uh, okay, so now what do I have to do? Give me the list. I'm pretty busy right now, but tell me what I'm supposed to do. Go back to verse 6. For this reason I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. 
For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. Now listen. What does it take to keep a good fire going? It takes wood. It takes gasoline. Gas- well, okay, gasoline. I don't want to be at your fireplace. <laughs> Mike's like, I got it! <laughs> Fuel, it takes oxygen, it takes actually labor. I mean, actually, go back to the beginning. You gotta split the wood, you gotta stir it, you gotta sweep the furnace, light the fire, continue to stir it, you gotta bellow it, you gotta add more fuel, and you gotta keep putting logs on the fire just to keep it burning and keep it going. And you know what? When we talk about kindling a fire, when we even use the word kindle afresh, this picture comes to mind, and the first place the soul man goes is back to the wood pile. The first thing I think is, what do I have to do? How do I have to engage to keep this fire going? Don't go there. Don't go out to the woodpile. Only one. Not much good happens out of the woodpile. <laughs> Exodus thirty-five three. You shall not kindle a fire in any of your dwellings on the Sabbath day. That's such a weird command. Why? Why, Lord? Throw a log on the fire? Oh, I was working! What, what's the deal with this? Listen, what was the Sabbath a picture of? Rest. Rest. What is rest a picture of in the Bible? Think about this. It's peace. But I think it's more than that. It's trust. It's trust. The Sabbath is a picture of rest. God gave the Sabbath to man. Not man to the Sabbath. He gave the Sabbath to man, to woman, so that we could learn to trust Him. That we could take actually a day off in the week as a picture of His provision. He's going to provide even if you work one less day. He's going to make sure you're covered. He just wants some some personal time. Sabbath rest. Thus says the Lord God, Isaiah 30, verse 15, the Holy One of Israel, in repentance and rest you will be saved. In quietness and trust is your strength. But you are not willing. We're right back at the woodpile splitting logs. Laboring, collecting the kindling. Thinking about how we can keep this fire going. Got to keep this fire going. And for all our labor and all our effort, we end up worn out. The one who has entered his rest, God's rest, has himself also rested from his works. Hebrews 4, verse 10. And verse 11 says, Therefore let us be diligent. I love this verse. Let us be diligent to enter that rest. (laughs) So that no one will fall through following the same example of disobedience. Let's be diligent to enter rest. Don't kindle a fire on Shabbat. The day of rest, the day of trust. Okay, I'm confused. So, how do we kindle afresh without doing the work and spiritually breaking the Sabbath? How do we diligently enter into rest? If rest is truly the key to kindling. Well, there was one house on Shabbat in which the no kindling on the Sabbath law was never observed. In fact, was not observed Sabbath to Sabbath, week to week. It was the house of God. 
Think about this. God prescribed that in your dwellings there will be no kindling of the fire on the Sabbath, but in the temple every Sabbath the fires were kindled. The altar kept burning. The priests did not stop working on the Sabbath. First Chronicles 23 verse 30 says, They are to stand every morning to thank and to praise the Lord, and likewise at evening, and to offer all burnt offerings to the Lord on the Sabbaths, the new moons, the fixed festivals, in the number set by the ordinance concerning them continually before the Lord. You don't stop working. Priests keep going. They continue to kindle the fire. The fires in God's house were to remain kindled. Well, sure, because that's God's house and God can break His own law if He wants. He didn't. What? Talmud recognizes that the same 39 categories of work that were forbidden in the home were all in play in the temple on the Sabbath. God tells us not to do something, but then He does it in His house? Well, I guess if you make the rules, they don't apply to you. Maybe if your last name is Clinton, you, I, I mean, is... is <laughs> get, Just kidding. (laughs) People look at God and that's the attitude they have. They say, well, He makes the rules. He can break the rules. Please understand, God never breaks His rules. Jesus fulfilled the law to the T. Well, how does that work? He says, don't do it, and then He does it. Jesus said in Matthew 12.5, Have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath the priests in the temple break the Sabbath but are innocent? How's that possible? How is that possible? Have you ever wondered that? It's very simple. The law was not broken because the sacrifice was made. The sacrifices of Israel that took place in the temple covered all of the breaking of the law covered, atoned for sin. So that even as the priests were in the temple violating the Sabbath, which would be violated anywhere else in the temple, it was acceptable because the sacrifice was made and covered anything that would be violation. Where the sacrifice is made, the law is kept. And so God says, no kindling on the Sabbath except in the temple. But in the temple, that's where the sacrifice was happening. So Sabbath was not broken. You understand what I'm saying? It's absolutely perfect. When we start to look at the mind of God and and we get these little glimpses, we just... He really thought this through. Jesus said this, Matthew 12, 6, I say to you, something greater than the temple is here. What I'm saying is this, when the sacrifice is made, the work is finished, and the rest can now come. Keep your finger in 1 Timothy. I'd like you to turn over to Hebrews chapter 10 just for a moment. Hebrews chapter 10. Where the Hebrew writer so beautifully explains exactly what we're talking about here. If you look at Hebrews 10, verse 11. Hebrews is just to the right. In fact, it's the next book that we're going to get to. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 11. Every priest 
stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. What do you mean? Permanently. You offer sacrifice for sin, guess what? Someone's going to sin within a few seconds. So you got to offer another sacrifice, and then another. And you keep atoning and atoning and atoning across centuries, atoning for the sins of the people because the sins keep going, so we got to keep covering over those sins. Watch this. But He, speaking of Jesus, verse 12, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God. That's what our high priest has done, and it's something no high priest would ever do. Something no priest in the temple could do was sit down. I told you before, of all the furniture that was in the temple, the one thing missing was a chair. Because the priest had no time for sitting. It's like when I worked at McDonald's as a teenager and they said, you got time to lean, you got time to clean. (laughs) And in my 16-year-old mind, I'm like, a stool would make this job so much easier. No chairs in the temple because the priest stood daily. But Jesus, offering his sacrifice, sat down at the right hand of God. That's Psalm 110, verse 1, by the way. Verse 13, waiting for that time onward, when his enemies be made a footstool for his feet. For by one offering he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also testifies to us, for after saying, this is the covenant I will make with them, after those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws upon their heart, and on their mind I will write them, Jeremiah 31. He then says, and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now where there is forgiveness of these things, there is no longer any offering for sin. And so, the idea of kindling a fire, man, when the sacrifice is made, now the sacrifice is made. Kindle all you want. Stir it up. Fan the flames, because the sacrifice has been made. And I have been sanctified by the sacrifice of Jesus. Now, i got to poke one more iron in the fire here. The kindling of the altar in his house, again, was not as the exception to, but the maintenance of the law. It allowed the law to continue. However, he also said this. You might note this. This is Malachi chapter 1, verse 10. God said, Oh, that there were one among you who would, not, or who would shut the gates, that is, to the temple. Oh, that there was someone who would just shut the gates that you might not uselessly kindle fire on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord of hosts, nor will I accept an offering from you. Wait a minute. There's a way to uselessly kindle fire. God says, you're doing it. You're kindling the fire of the altar of sacrifice, and it's a waste. It's useless. And the people who were so bound up in the legalism of the law were saying, why? Why is that a waste of time? You're doing it with your hands. Your heart's not there. It's a waste. How do we uselessly kindle fire? We do it when it's more about the work than the relationship. When it's more about getting the job done and meeting the expectation than it is about loving each other. That will just burn you out. And you need to pay attention to that. In any ministry, when the work becomes a burden, you need to pull back. 
pull back. But Rick, you're saying stir it up. Yeah, that's how you do it. You stir the flames. You kindle the fire by pressing into the Lord. It doesn't mean all the ministry of the church and, and the work of the gospel and the going out and being sent ones. doesn't mean that doesn't happen. But the source, the fuel for it, comes from pressing into Jesus. Being with the Lord. How do we do this? This kindle afresh power, love, and discipline in a way that is restful? Verse 6, I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God. You've got to recognize the gift here. The gift is charisma. That's the word in the Greek, charisma. It's from the word charis, which we know is grace. The charisma is the, the gracious gift of God. And Paul almost exclusively uses that word when referring to spiritual gifts and referring to the Spirit. Romans 12.6, we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Charisma. 1 Corinthians 12.4, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7, to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's charisma, of Christ's gift. In his first letter to Timothy, referring to the same thing, this, this gift, Paul said, 1 Timothy 4.14, do not neglect the spiritual gift within you that was bestowed on you through the prophetic utterance with the laying on of hands by the elders. Don't neglect that spiritual gift. We can neglect the gift by uselessly kindling fire. By being so busy and so much about the work that the heart is neglected. That the time with Jesus loses ground. Because we're so focused on all these other things, and it might not even be ministry work, it might just be your everyday job, is taking so much of your life. It's like uselessly kindling fire. Gifts, charisma, by definition, is something given. It's something that is free, it is not earned, it's received, and it's the problem with Santa Claus. I'll tell you... You better watch out. <laughs> better not cry. You better not pout. Can you imagine saying that to your child? You know it's the first day of Advent. You have one month to clean it up, little boy. <laughs> Santa Claus is coming to town. James Taylor, in his version of that song, ends the song by saying, Oh, you better watch out. I'm like... That, that should freak every child on the planet out. <laughs> i got to get my act together. The Santa Claus conundrum. Yeah, there's all kinds of gifts, but you've got to earn them. Everyone. Whoever wrote that song thought they were coming alongside parents. I'll give you a hand here. you know. you got to work for it? No. The gift that you kindle afresh is freely given, freely received. It comes from the Lord, not based on anything you have done. You don't earn it. You don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. It's given to us. Freely from the giver, who, by the way, is the gift. See, there are all manner of spiritual gifts. We've talked about those. Look at them. Things that, that the Lord bestows on His people. But you've got to understand, to even utilize those gifts, to, to, to be functional with the spiritual gifts, you have to have the Holy Spirit. The giver of the gifts must be present for the gifts to function correctly. Acts 2.38, the whole thing began when Peter said, Repent each one of you and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift 
of the Holy Spirit. You know, I, I get excited about it. I like talking about spiritual gifts. But I get even more excited about the Spirit present in me. I don't care if I can do anything else spiritual, but if I know He's here, that's what we're talking about. Stirring up. You're stirring up afresh that relationship with Jesus through His Spirit. Because I know whom I have believed and I'm convinced that He is able to guard what I have entrusted to Him until that day. So in verse 7 he says, God has not given us a spirit of timidity. Most translations, and perhaps yours does this, spirit is uh, lower case. He's not given us a spirit of timidity. And the translators do that because they don't want to implicate the spirit with cowardice. They don't want to use cowardice or timidity in the same sentence as the Holy Spirit. They're like, ah, we can't use that to describe even possibly that the Spirit could ever be timid. What Paul is saying here is, I believe, no such attitude exists in God. And I think right now, if you want to, you could draw a big capital S on Spirit. Because the Spirit of God is not a spirit of timidity or fear. The Spirit of God present in me is a spirit who brings power and love and discipline. Gordon Fee, who is an excellent Bible scholar, he said the lowercase s is most highly improbable and quite misses both the relationship of verse 7 to verse 6 as well as Paul's own usage and theology everywhere else. Paul is not referring to some spirit or some attitude like I've got an attitude of timidity. No, he says that God has given us the Holy Spirit. He has not given us a spirit that's timid. He's given us His Spirit that is bold. And I agree with feet. His Spirit is the giver of the power, the love, the discipline, all that we need. And John the Baptist told us ahead of time, He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. It's a package deal. The Holy Spirit and fire. Fire in the Bible refers really to two things. Judgment and passion. And the Holy Spirit will do either one. If you want to reject, push back, say no thank you, you're going to get a fire of judgment. If you receive Him, it is a fire of passion that burns bright. He provides the flame. So what's my part? So what do I do? I know you're heading right back out to the woodpile. Come on, come on back. Your part, my part, listen, is the kindling. The kindling. What do you mean? Paul says, kindle afresh. He says this to Timothy. The Spirit says it to you and to me. It's not just our responsibility. It is our respondability. That is how I respond to Him. He does all the work. He offers invitation. And I have a chance to respond or not. And my response to the Lord is the kindling for the fire. Is your spiritual gift smoldering? Is your faith dim? Want to stir things up? Just respond. Respond to the Lord. Romans 12.6 says, Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If you have the gift of prophecy, according to the proportion of your faith. If you have service, in your serving. If it's teaching, in your teaching. 
or one who exhorts in his exhortation, or he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. In other words, use the gift that you've been given. Penelope and I were talking about this last night. I'm, I'm sitting there in bed. I had, you know, for four weeks, basically, in the hospital and back home. And during that time, I, I, I studied out three teachings. Last Sunday, Wednesday night, and this morning. Done. They were all done after like the first week and a half. Why is that? Because I felt so stressed out and compelled I had to keep working? No, I just... It's what I wanted to do. My Bible was sitting there, my laptop, and I was like... Where are we going, Lord? See, God has, has... He's given me something. And I say He's given me because it was not here before. I know the day that it changed. But He's given me just this this desire to study and teach His Word. And I find that I can't not use it. So you can stick me in bed with holes in my gut. I'm still going to study. And to some people that sounds like, are you serious? You can study? I'd be watching like the Planets of the Apes saga or something. I did that. (laughs) But I just had to. I just wanted to. And and it's part of the deal. And it didn't tire me out. It really encouraged me. I found myself after last Sunday's teaching, which I finished, I think, three days after I got home, I'm like, Lord, how soon can I get back to teach this? And then for this Sunday, you know what we're talking about right now? I'm so I can't wait to talk about this. It's funny because last Sunday while I was teaching, I was thinking about this Sunday. What I'm saying is this: as you as you use the Spirit within you, as you function in the way He's called you to function, power increases, love increases, discipline is there. So you find yourself just wearing yourself out. Maybe you're in the wrong ministry. I don't know. Maybe, maybe you're, you're at the wrong woodpile. <laughs> because it ought to bring rest. Use the gift you've been given. It's not use it or lose it, by the way, because the Bible tells us the gifts and callings of God are irrevocable. So when He gives of Himself, when He gives gifts, He doesn't take them away. They're there for you to use. So... Use it or diffuse it, maybe is a better way to say it. The gift unused is going to smolder until you stir it up. Until we kindle afresh the gift of God within us. Now, listen, last thing I'll say to you. Someone might hear all of this stirring up and and everything. I've heard teachings on, you know, getting a fiery faith and igniting your faith. I've I've heard this my whole life. And, And they're always, you know, meant to be very motivational. But I think sometimes someone can say, well, that's great for you, you know, weirdos. It's great for you pastor types, you know. Stir it up. Be spiritual. Okay, I get it. But i got a job. I've got a family. i got bills to pay. I've got a medical condition I'm struggling with. I've got real life problems that I have to deal with. I don't have time to be going around stirring up spiritual gifts. Then listen. You will face your job, your family, your bills, your medical problems, and your real life issues all alone. And you can do that. You can choose to ignore the sincere faith 
and face life on your own. But it will burn you out. It will exhaust you. It will wear you down. This is not about some kind of spiritual retreat experience. To be a believer of Jesus Christ, to be a follower of the Son of God, is to know His power, His love, and His discipline. And so to those who are worn out and weary and beaten and bedraggled, if you're tired, even if you're tearful, He says, I say to you this morning, kindle afresh. Stir up that faith. Go to the altar of Jesus Christ and receive rest and fuel for the fire. Sacrifice has been given. Jesus stands waiting and His rest is assured. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. Father, we need that rest. A rest that does stir up all of these things. A restfulness in our giftedness. A trust in the presence of Your Holy Spirit. And Father, when those times come, as they do, and they probably have for many of my brothers and sisters here right now, there are many of us who are tired. There are many who have been waiting a long time, Lord Jesus, for You to come back. And there are moments in that waiting where we say, How long, Lord? How much longer? Because we get tired. Holy Spirit of the living God, please, we beg of You to stir us up. To kindle afresh that sincere faith, that gift that has been given to each and every one of us. And Father, I am convinced because You have said as much that there is not a person here who has given their lives to Jesus who does not have the gift of Your Spirit and giftings and callings upon their lives. That's all of us, Lord. And so I pray You would ignite the fire in us. A fire that brings warmth and comfort and encouragement and strength and rest. And we thank You for Jesus. In His name we pray. Amen. So, we're going to give you time to respond. Not your responsibility, it's your respondability. And I'm just going to tell you, if you sit there or stand there in your seat, tired, run down, then you missed what we were talking about. I challenge you again to be a people who come to the Lord. It's why we have people at all four tables, in back corners front, it's not about how you appear to anyone else. But if you're tired, if you're emotionally spent, if you're in need of healing, if you need the filling of the Holy Spirit, a fresh anointing of the Spirit again this morning, if you've never been baptized, if you're sitting there thinking, I I believe in Jesus, but I've never really spoken that out loud, you know what? How do you respond to Him this morning? I leave that question with you. We're not going to sing for a minute or so here. We're just going to have some music. If you want to respond to the Lord... I invite you to do that. Go to any of your brothers and sisters. Let's just pray together and start to stir up what God's doing in your life. Please come. Let's stand up together.